Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey everybody, welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick. Coming up in this episode, we're going to explore hypnotherapy and get stranded on a desert island. Deserted island. Right? Is it deserted or desert? Deserted. It's not about losing control. It's more about allowing yourself to go deeper and trusting the person in front of you to help you get to that deeper side of whatever your issue is. Really with hypnotherapy is we're working at the, with the subconscious level of the things that they're not even aware of, like what is driving them to even go to the smoking because I'm always doing something that I know is not good for me. But once they understand, they can actually move forward and feel less guilt and shame. And so they'll come saying, help me fix my eating issue, but it would actually transition to help me forgive my mother. I want to thank you guys so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. If you didn't already notice from the whole deserted slash desert island confusion that we just went through, it's shocking to me how dumb I am. Like, how can I be alive this long and know this little about the world and about things that we hear about all the time? Take something like hypnosis or hypnotherapy. I thought I had a pretty good idea of what that was. I imagine the old kind of Looney Tunes, Bug Bunny commercials, where they got somebody, or cartoons rather, where they got somebody with a watch and it goes back and forth, the person gets hypnotized, and the person who hypnotized them can make them do whatever they want. That, that's what I imagine it is. That's completely wrong. Our first guest, though, can explain to us what hypnotherapy is and why it has been so powerful for many people. How it can kind of get to the core of who you are. This is hypnotherapist Shani Ree. I think a lot of people know what hypnotherapy is, but don't really know what hypnotherapy is. So what exactly is it? I think it really is kind of, it has a lot of mixed meaning. It's not about losing control. It's more about allowing yourself to go deeper and trusting the person in front of you to help you get to that deeper side of whatever your issue is. It's like a relaxed state of mind. It's not so much like a magical trance that people perceive it to be. It's really just more of a willingness to get to that relaxed state and dig deeper. You know, when I think of being hypnotized, like I'm imagining the circus kind of thing that we all saw in cartoons and stuff like that. What, when someone's under hypnosis, what, what is that really? 
Right. Like you said, you get like this connotation that you've seen in movies where people will say, I'm going to make you do this. And then they lose control. They don't know what they're wake, like doing. And they wake up thinking, oh, my goodness, what did I do? And I think this is why people get a little bit weirded out by the term hypnosis and hypnotherapy, because it seems like that loss of control. It's humiliating and it creates this fear that they're not going to be able to control what they're saying or doing. But that is a false misconception. Um, nobody's making you do anything that you don't want to do. And if you have any deep, dark secrets, no one's going to be like, now you got to tell me everything beyond your will. Everything is within your control. Um, you're really getting into, you're, you're playing a role. So like you're, the role that you're playing is someone who wants to go deeper and the hypnosis or hypnotherapist is the person who's facilitating that and pretty much just guiding you. And they're giving you suggestions that you can choose to either accept or reject depending on how, you know, how you feel. So you start a typical session. Is that the right word? Would session be the... Right. Yep. Typical okay. session. How does that work? Like walk me through the process. What do you do? Right. So I actually do my hypnosis like therapy online, but most people who come to me, they know that I only provide online. So I would send them a sheet saying, what are you looking for? And like, there's this term that I use. If I had a magic wand, what is the one thing that you want to walk out with when you go under the session? So having them fill that out and send it back to me, I kind of get a grasp of what they're looking for in the session and what I can do to help them. So after that is cleared, I do have to tell them what to expect. So one of the things that you, um, they're expecting is like, don't expect to be hypnotized. Like the whole term hypnotize. Like, are you going to hypnotize me? Like they have it all wrong. Like, no, I'm not doing anything to you. And I think that's the first thing that I have to tell them, you know, like you're not, nothing is being done to you. This is a partnership. This is a space where, you know, you are trusting me with your deepest, you know, emotions, feelings, things that have happened. Like we're really going deeper into your childhood, anything that has been traumatic. And, and if you're okay with that, then that's, that's great. And we can start from there. And I think that gives them a little bit more clarity as to what to expect that they are in full control. This is a very trusting relationship and they will get what they want to the extent that they're willing to be open and gain whatever they, it is that they want to gain from it. So the difference between kind of traditional therapy and hypnotherapy is what? I actually started um, like therapy, like psychotherapy. And I felt like what was frustrating was I'm going to pay you, let's say it's like 120 a session, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm going to pay you 120 per session. And the therapist was telling me like, of course, the whole idea of therapy is like, first, you have to establish a relationship with the person and they have to get to know you because if they don't know anything about you, I think their thing is like, we want to help you, but to help you, we need to get to know you. And therefore, in order to get to know you, that's going to take time. And so pretty much what she was telling me is I'm going to have to pay you know, for the beginning of our therapy sessions, at least three to four sessions of me just getting to get her to know me. And <laughs> I find that it's very different with hypnotherapy where it's saying, I have an issue. I know what the issue is. 
you know, I have the symptoms of whether it's anxiety, I can't sleep, or I'm eating so much, I'm just gaining so much weight, I just have an issue that I want to tackle. I don't need you to know me. I need you to know that I know this is an issue. And I need you to just take me where I need to go, ask the right questions, feel what I need to feel, and like change my mind about this. And I don't necessarily need to know you to help you. That makes, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it, it seems like somebody knows what their issue is. Like, look, I just, I need to stop smoking. How can you help me stop smoking? Right. And I, I think the thing is, like, I can easily say, oh, go for the patches or go into a community. But I think really with hypnotherapy is we're working at the, with the subconscious level of the things that they're not even aware of. Like, what is driving them to even go to the smoking? So it's like a person who has, you know, an issue with something and they're just taking pills, but like, that's not what they really need. They need to get to the root of what is driving them to get those symptoms, whether it be the headache or the desire to drink, where is it being driven from? And that's what I would imagine is always the difficult part, right? Like I, I always remember watching those shows about addiction or something like that. And it's not necessarily just the alcohol. It's like, but why are you drinking it? You have to kind of get to that, right? Right, right. So what is your relationship with this, with the alcohol? Like what is, like your body is so wired to want to protect you. And so even in a case like I've dealt with someone who had a drinking issue and they would say like, yeah, it's just, it's not my control. Like I don't know why I do it. And a lot of it is, I don't know why, but I just do. But when they go deeper into it, it's like, they really do know. <laughs> so the people who say, I don't know why, end up realizing when they go deeper into like when it started, I think that's one of the key points. Like you have to go back to the moment when you did start doing that. What had happened when you start doing that? And when we start unveiling that, they start realizing, oh my goodness, like I was actually running away from something. And this is the one thing that protected me. And a big part of your healing is when you acknowledge that technically, Yes, drinking is a quote unquote, like a shameful addiction, but a lot of the healing process is to also acknowledge that your body did what it did. You, you built these habits to protect yourself. And in that sense, they also walk out feeling so much more free. Like, okay, I don't really feel as much of like a shitty person because I'm always doing something that I know is not good for me. But once they understand, they can actually move forward and feel less guilt and shame. In your experience, do people really mm. not do the people really not know why they're why they're doing something, or do they just not want to admit it? I think it's a little bit of both. I think some people they might come and say, "I, for example, someone was dealing with like weight issues, let's say, and they say, "I, I have this issue where I can't stop eating." And all of a sudden it turns into, actually, I'm actually just really, um, they realize that the issue has had nothing to do with eating. And so they'll come saying, help me fix my eating issue. But it would actually transition to help me forgive my mother or help me. It's actually like I'm in pain because of a relationship with a certain person in my life that has affected me. But it's just so funny that they'll think the weight is the issue or the cigarette is the issue, but it's really not. So some people are very surprised with this journey of like, I came for this, but I actually walked out 
with a whole totally another understanding of like myself. Are most of the people that you end up treating, are they extreme cases or are they just kind of everyday people that happen to have no. an issue? They're everyday people. They're normal people. But like everyone, we have a certain thing that's bothering us. And sometimes it could be something as simple as, uh, for me, the biggest thing was like procrastination. And you would wonder, like, procrastination, it doesn't really seem harmful. But some people, it's like, okay, this is really ruining my life. I don't know why I'm procrastinating so much. And so a little bit of them is curious as to why this is such a big issue for them, even if it doesn't seem as big of an issue. So it's really everyday issues that people will come up to me for, like, whether it be anxiety, sleeplessness, I'm procrastinating, or I just keep starting fights with my boyfriend. What's that about? You know, it's just the everyday situations where if they have an opportunity to dig deeper into that, they're willing to. What about kind of the hypnotherapy allows people to dig deeper about it? You you mentioned something about the subconscious. Tell me about that. So the process of hypnotherapy is very different. I actually see, I know that some therapists actually use hypnotherapy, their, their methods in their sessions. Um but the difference is hypnotherapy, usually, at least for me, is I have my clients have their eyes closed. And a lot of it is they're using their imagery and their visualizations of a moment in time and experience. And I think this is why sometimes people are like surprised with how they're reacting, because in a sense, it almost feels like you're reliving that experience. So it can get very emotional. But I think the biggest thing that like... That's that's just so powerful about hypnotherapy is that it kind of gets you to go through those experiences in such a way where you're almost like having that observer effect. Like, wow, I saw that this happened to me and it's I didn't really process it that way. But now I can look back and I can actually be perhaps like that loving parent or say the things or give that person who was dealing with something the things that they needed to hear at that time or the love or the affection or the appreciation or praise, whatever it is that they needed at that time, I can give it to them there. And so we do give hypnotherapists, they're pretty much informed about how to get clients to get through that process of going back, backtracking to time when they were younger and how that has affected them to this day. And I would say that's one of the biggest ways that we go about bringing healing to people. What would you say to somebody that might be skeptical of it and say, okay, hypnotherapy, I don't believe in this, or I don't believe that some childhood trauma could really be the reason that I'm overeating now or that I'm smoking now? Like, What would you say to somebody who would say that? I think people really underestimate how much your childhood impacts you. Um, you know, like when you're young, we really don't have a defense mechanism or like a filter when something happens to us our initial reaction as children is to just accept it and we have to just kind of like survive and we just move forward in life having experienced something like that and they might not believe it or they might not see it but I think it's also very helpful to give it some sort of interpretation and meaning to like the things that have happened in your past because it gives you more understanding if you're willing to understand or give yourself that sort of meaning. So like people who might be afraid of hypnotherapy, 
I would even say I would invite them to consider the deeper issues behind their their fear of it or their hesitancy towards it. And I feel that there is nothing to lose when it comes to going deeper and figuring out if there is something that perhaps you have missed. And I think that's one of the greatest gifts when you're like going back and you're like, oh my gosh, I never thought of it that way. So for the people who say, I don't think so, I would even say, okay, so why don't you, would you consider putting yourself in a situation where perhaps you could think of it that way? Because you have nothing to lose but a better understanding of yourself regardless. Are there specific dangers that are associated with this? Like, are there things that you, that somebody who was either working with you or looking to get into it that really would really need to watch out for? I, I know that some people have said, said that like they have very traumatic experiences and they're afraid that if they go back to that, they're going to feel very just not comfortable. I don't want to relive that experience ever again. But once again, hypnotherapy, hypnosis is not about you losing control, right? Like no one's making you go anywhere that you don't really want to go to. It's really about where you allow yourself to go and where you're willing to go. And if that experience does come up and, you know, your emotions are welling up, like I've, I've had people start, you know, they've got their eyes closed and they're going through this scene in their life where something has happened to them. And it's just such a critical moment in their life. And of course, because they're in a sense, re-envisioning that moment, emotions are coming up. And therefore, you know, they've got drool coming out their nose. And I don't necessarily tell them to run from that. I actually ask them, okay, I want you to stay there. You know, and if they're already there, they're there. But I feel like the biggest thing is, the biggest thing is they're afraid to feel what they're feeling because they're afraid of what's really under all of that. But once again, there's really nothing scary about hypnotherapy. You're not losing control. You're simply allowing yourself to open up to heal. When you're talking about the difference between the subconscious and the conscious, like why do you, why would you want to deal with the subconscious person rather than the conscious person? So the subconscious has a way of determining our actions. So for example, your conscious will say, I know I shouldn't want to do that. Like I know that smoking is bad. We all know this, like we know what's bad and we know what's not like good, but it's our subconscious that says, but it feels good. But this is really what you want. This is what you need, isn't it? And unless we change that voice in our head that says, you need this, this is what's really going to protect you. I know, you know, it's bad, right? Consciously. I know, you know, and you know, like you're thinking that it's bad, but the subconscious is the emotion behind it. And at the end of the day, it's like our emotions are a huge factor over how we're acting and behaving in real situations, especially when it's in the moment. We go by, you know, we think about it later, like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. But I would say we're more wired to be led by our emotions, and that's where our subconscious lies. And our thinking, our conscious mind is what actually, when we look back and say, yeah, I think that was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. But until you change that wiring, the subconscious, you'll be honestly forever led by that. So you have to change that from the very core. And that's what I mean when I say it has to get to the root of the issue. Like what purpose is it serving and how can you finally let that go? When somebody's yeah. looking for a hypnotherapist said they want to do this, what, did, what do you think that there are some things that people need to look for in a hypnotherapist? What are some things that people should watch out for? Um, I would definitely say credentials like 
you know, are they certified? Do they have a license? You also have to, I, I feel like this comes, this goes for any, um, finding a therapist or a hypnotherapist, it doesn't matter. But when you're finding someone that you want to work with, with your deepest issues, you have to find someone you have a rapport with, like someone that you like. And it's kind of similar to dating. <laughs> you have to kind of like hop around and see what works for you. And I would totally encourage people to like, even before you hop on a session with someone, ask them like, hey, can I ask you like, what's your philosophy behind it? What was your success? What was your failures behind it? Like, I'm pretty open about um, the people that I've worked with and it actually didn't work. And I'll tell them why it didn't work or what, why I think it didn't work. And I'll tell them the, the situations where it did work and how it had helped them. So giving them a picture of maybe where they stand in that line and will it help you is a good way for people to feel more comfortable. And it also gives you just more of a relationship with that person within that one phone call. What is when people come to you, what's kind of the common theme among them? The common themes, I would say mostly this idea of just not being secure. I would say insecurity is a big one. And insecurity, whether it's about their physical appearance or the way that they act socially, anxiety is a huge one. And relationship problems, like what's wrong with me? Why Why did he cheat on me? Or... I would say it's really about how they perceive themselves and how that's affecting their relationships and how they're acting in life. I would say that's the, that's the biggest thing. So when you address something like anxiety like that, are you suggesting that to them to just say, hey, be more confident? Or how are you kind of treating them, so to speak? Right. And isn't that the thing? It's like, I'm anxious. Okay, don't be anxious. <laughs> and it's like, no, like you really have to it's really tough because like I said, there were cases where I've gone through a session with somebody and it just didn't work. And that is the biggest, just the crux. Like when people, they know they have an issue, but they also know like they're just not ready. They're not ready to let it go. Okay. And so part of the process of hypnotherapy is helping someone to really understand, like get them to a place where they see like, this is not me. Like, I'm not an anxious person. The reason why I am anxious is because blank. And me as the hypnotherapist, I'm never giving people answers. I'm not saying you're this because blank. You're this because of that. Like, I'm allowing them to tell me why they're that way. And so that's why it is fully in their control. I'm not giving you any answers. You're really going deeper into yourself and you're telling yourself, where did this come from? Why am I the way I am? What has happened? And why am I not that person anymore? So for example, I'll give you a direct example. Like a person will say, when I was seven, this happened to me. And I felt scared and I felt embarrassed. And I felt like I couldn't speak up for myself. And I would say, okay, and tell me why that's not you anymore. That was your seven-year-old self and you still carry that in your heart. It still affects the way you view yourself and, you know, how you perceive your environment. Now you tell me why you feel that's not you anymore. And some people might say, no, that's still me. And it's just so hard to go around that because they don't see the reasons. They're stuck in that. 
And so I have to take them back to, I'll give them suggestions. Can I suggest that perhaps that's not you anymore? Because simply put, a really easy example is you're not seven anymore, right? And she's like, right. And let me also tell you, if something is bothering you and if you're scared and let's say you're in a situation, you have full power to step out of that. And she's like, yes. So you're giving suggestions to them. Sometimes they are stuck, but sometimes they're actually able to come up with it themselves. And so it's really giving them a logical and perceivable suggestion that they can actually really hold true to themselves so that they can believe it and start acting out of that. Are you ready for the harder slash listener submitted questions? Ooh, yeah, go for it. <laughs> can you make someone cluck like a chicken? <laughs> That's a hard question. That's one of our listener submitted ones. Okay, I'll tell you this. A part of hypnotherapy, at least when it comes to like a hypnotherapy session, see like I don't even know how the people on TV did it. But the version of hypnotherapy that I do is nothing like that. Like I can't say you're going to do this. Like like I snap my fingers and that's it. Like you don't even know what you're doing anymore. Like that's another phenomenon that I, I, I'm not familiar with. But what I can say is because there is a trust between me and my client, if I were to say when I snap my fingers, you know, I want you to click like a chicken because they trust me, they probably will. And that's more of a extreme example. Like I want you to do this. And they might be like, that doesn't even make sense. But because I trust <laughs> yeah. you, because I trust you, I'm going to do it. <laughs> so it's more of like consensual necessarily. Like, right. <laughs> and you know, but you see, like when you trust somebody, you're more willing and open to do whatever they ask you to do. Most interesting case that you've had. Mm, the most interesting case that I've had. I would say the most interesting case that I've had was one. I was working with a woman in her 40s and, you know, not to give too much detail, but long story short, um, she was saying that she had issues with speaking up for herself, right? And I thought, okay, this should be really about just, you you know, showing up, speaking up and being true to herself and just finding the confidence within her to speak her truth and, you know, not just hide. But somehow it ended up, like I said, like people come in for one thing and it just turns into something totally different sometimes. And I get surprised too. Like I never go into a session feeling like I know what's going to pop up. Like it's always going to change on me too. And I, I come with like an open mind and it turned into her broken marriage and it was so tough and you know usually a hypnotherapy session is about an hour sometimes an hour and a half sometimes two but with this woman particularly it was about three hours of me sitting there with her and we were just going on and on and on about I was going back and forth with her like okay remember when we talked about why this is not going to serve you anymore and why we have to 
honestly get to a point where you can speak up to your husband for disrespecting you a certain way and she's like no i totally see it and you're right and you know she's telling herself the reasons why she can't do it but i think that's when i thought i got such an important lesson out of that too if you're not ready it's just you're not ready and even that that's okay it was very shocking how it has transitioned from one thing to the next and also seeing how much when someone doesn't want to hurt somebody we're almost like we're willing to swallow everything at the cost of not hurting somebody else that is kind of interesting to me in the sense that like sometimes even if you can but do they tend to get better so to speak even if they're not ready to fix the problem at least they've identified what the problem is is that helpful mm-hmm. in a sense yeah, I think the beautiful thing about, see, like, even me as a hypnotherapist, like, I also had to kind of step back from this pressure of, like, I need to fix them. I need to have an answer for them. And my biggest thing was, that's not your job, right? Like, I'm my job is not to fix you. My job is to guide you, to help you get the answers that you need for yourself. And so, like, even when they don't necessarily get exactly what they were looking for when they had entered that session i truly believe that therapy doesn't end the moment you open your eyes or the moment that you walk out of the office or you know whatever the setting is it doesn't end the moment it ends like in the aftermath of any therapy session you're still open to new learning you've opened up a part of yourself that now you can fully allow yourself to say wow that's actually kind of refreshing like a lot of people feel refreshed that They've opened something that's been hidden for so long, that's been driving a lot of their pain. And even though they don't know the answers yet, like that's the healing journey to feel it, right? You can't heal what you can't feel. That's pretty much all the questions that I had. Is there anything else you think you'd like to add or anything you think that we missed? Say, okay, if I were to top this conversation off, I would say the greatest thing about therapy whether it be hypnotherapy, counseling, psychotherapy, whatever it is, I I think it is really about understanding yourself and understanding this power. And if we can all find a way to better understand ourselves, why we do what we do. And with that, you now have the leverage to reframe it. And what was once broken you can you can really fix it and heal yourself slowly and forgive the people you need to forgive. Forgive yourself for the things you've done. And I think understanding is one of the biggest things. Just It's so powerful in the way that it helps you grow. And I think people should be more open-minded to that. I want to thank Shanice so much for joining us. If you want to connect with her, we have linked to her on our social media accounts. We're Profoundly Pointless on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we've also included her information on the RSS feed that's on this podcast. Okay. Now let's go ahead and give John Shaw a call. Hello. Why'd you have to go to the chiropractor? Uh, I've been having some pain in my back for the last year. So you waited for the whole year and then you went. I'm I'm not going to lie to you. I I probably still wouldn't have gone. But, uh, you know, when you live with somebody, uh, you know, they get tired of you complaining. Oh, you're one of those people. 
You're going to wait forever, complain about it every day, not do anything about it until the last second, and then once you do something about it, now you're going to complain about it forever, and everybody else is now going to have to hear about how you have to go to the chiropractor once a week. <laughs> you know, I grunt and groan having to bend down to tie my shoes, and it's not because I can't see my feet, by the way. Do you have, I mean, wait, can you see your feet straight standing up, or do you have to bend forward a little bit before you see your feet? <laughs> What what de- oh. what degree of tilt do you get to before you can see your feet? Believe it or not, I am I am not nearly that big. I don't have to have any tilt to be, and I'm 100 percent honest. Okay. Uh, speaking of being 100 percent honest, what is a childhood memory you would like to suppress? <laughs> like, wow! I uh, wish I could forget about that. I mean, we've talked about it on this program a couple of times. Besides seeing your dad having sex with your mom in (laughs) quite a position. Let's just leave it at that. (laughs) Testing out all pages of the Kama Sutra in front of little young John Shaw. Besides walking in on your dad's hairy back, railing away at your mom. (laughs) Oh, that's disgusting. you know, another one that comes to mind is, and th- this might this might be too childish, was uh, the the time I found out that Santa wasn't real. What? How do you mean you found out? You didn't just figure that out on your own eventually? Like, hey, this isn't real. Uh, no, I mean, this memory lives pretty deep because I was so shocked. Was I, I wanted this one wrestling figure for years. Which one? Uh, a Bret Hart. Not nearly as good as his brother Owen Hart. <laughs> R.I.P. But anyways, and I... He's dead? I remember seeing my mother bring it in to the house, and I was like, all right, well, you know, I think she made up some excuse or whatever when I asked her about it. And then, like, three days later, I found it in a hiding spot with some other things that were obviously for me, and I was like, wait a second. Santa's not real? Who's been eating all the fucking cookies? Well, so wait a minute. You were more traumatized about finding out that Santa wasn't real than joy for your parents providing you all these wonderful gifts. You sound very selfish. Yeah, I know. I, you know. Wow, what an uh, ungrateful child. You know, here's a good one that I wish I could suppress. Uh, Kevin McCoy, childhood friend of mine. Whom I don't speak with anymore. We'll just put that out there. Okay, thanks for naming him because now we all know who he is. Uh, we, you know, we were teenagers. Wait, why don't we you talk fr- to him anymore? Uh, this might have something to do with it. If you can let me finish the story. Okay. You know, there was like four of us in my buddy's basement. We were playing some video games. I think they were wrestling video games. Jerking off. Well, I, I had the great idea to get Kevin in a power bomb. <laughs> That'll position. do it. That'll do which, it. <laughs> which is where he, you know, I lift him up and basically like you slam them to the ground on their back. Kevin was a really skinny kid and I just unleashed on this poor kid, dropping him onto a basement floor. Wow. So basically and what we've learned in the last couple of minutes is that you're a selfish bully. <laughs> Are you done with this story? Did you finish it or is, what's no, the deal? No, no. End game is I hurt him kind of bad. He had to go to the hospital. God, so fucking jerk. 
I I wanted to I, I want to suppress it, but there is kind of a badass part of the story was that my buddy's dad comes down to the basement, sees Kevin laying there crying, looks at Kevin and goes, "What's the matter with him?" <laughs> That's such a dad answer. I was really hoping that he was gonna power bomb you. I mean, an- another one that I, that, I, that I want to forget is I was at a bar with my father. I had to be eight or nine, like during lunchtime, and we had gotten like some shrimp cocktail. And I went to get up, and I'm pretty sure my belly hit the table, and I flipped the entire table. Wow, you were. You were on pace to be one of the biggest children in Detroit early on, huh? <laughs> Anyways. Oh, all right, here. I got the I got the best one. I'll end on this one. I'm sorry. You're making me think about all these terrible stories. Hope you cry to sleep tonight. <laughs> uh, I, I had to be eight or nine. Michael Jordan was coming to Detroit to play the Pistons. And I was so excited to see him. You know, I mean, it's Michael Jordan, right? Like, you're an eight- or nine-year-old kid. My buddy, who I was supposed to go with, lied to me and wanted to take somebody else. Oh, he got stood up. So then the next day at school, the kid that went came came up to me, and we were talking. And he goes, yeah, I was at the Pistons game last night with so-and-so, and it was the best time ever. And I was like, I broke down in tears like what a little kid should. And uh, never got to see Michael Jordan play, ever. How about Kevin McCoy? That's that's <laughs> karma is what that is. How do you think that guy feels about getting powerbombed by some rotund child? <laughs> I, I'm sure Kevin McCoy, listen, Kevin, if you're out there, I'm sorry, all right? Apologies. We really didn't speak much after that. You know what? We're going to end every episode for the next couple of months with apologies to Kevin McCoy. <laughs> until he Until he finds out, and then... Comes over to my house and, you know, puts I, me through a table. I hope he's like six seven three fifty right now and just shows up at your house. <laughs> How, would you be mad at him if Kevin McCoy now, 20-plus years later, shows up at your house, power bombs you, and then walks away? Yeah, I mean, he was fine. I think he just had like a, a bruised sternum. He went to the hospital. Or, yeah, but it was just a bruise. He's fine. Yeah, but if he shows up at your house right now, rings the doorbell, you look out, and he just wraps you up and power bombs you right then and there, and then says, I'm Kevin McCoy, I don't think you can be mad at him. I think that's karma. You should respect him for that. Uh, you ready for your segment? Yeah, man. Are you, are you not going to share any of your uh, childhood suppressed memories? No. You all took right, up all the time we had with your 50,000 issues that you had as a child. I know, I'm Which sorry. all revolve around you being a selfish bully. I've, <laughs> among other things, don't listen to the last episode because then you'll no one will ever like me. All right, uh, so some quick shout-outs here. Uh, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Appreciate everyone that likes, comments, subscribes, even though apparently I'm a selfish asshole. Um, Racist. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Uh, so shout-outs here to uh, Bernard, Mike, Randy, David, Kesha, Simon, Steve, Haley, Joe, Juliet, uh, Joanna, Ice Shaker, mm. Nita, Douglas, and my personal favorite of this week, My Identity, Pakistan. <laughs> are, are you sure it's Kesha and not Keisha? or? Uh, it could be Keisha, uh, and I apologize if I fucked that up. What's the uh, spelling? If I did. What's the spelling? 
Uh, K-E-I-S-H-A. Ooh, that might be Keisha, man. I think that's a Keisha. Well, uh, she's a pretty frequent uh, supporter on Facebook, so uh, Keisha or Kesha or Keisha, if if it's one of those ways, let me know, and I will make sure to correct it for next time. But either way, appreciate everyone supporting, liking social media and uh, whatnot. All right. We're going to start off with an easy one for you here. Uh, Shamrock Shake or a Lucky Leprechaun Frappuccino? Don't even know what the second one is. It's Shamrock Shake all day. Get the fuck out of here with that other stuff. (laughs) Fair enough. Um, Chicken fries, a chicken patty, or chicken nuggets? Oh, chicken nuggets, I think, are the way to go. If I want to mix it up a little bit, then I'll go ahead and I'll go with uh, some chicken fries. I'm not really messing with a chicken patty. I feel like that's when you cross into the world of... Like, eh, that's when the that's when whatever's in the chicken nuggets slash chicken fries is getting a little too sketchy, right? Like that's what's going into prisons and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Uh, chicken fries are number three for me. I would go patties, nuggets, and fries, but that's just you get you get the uh, you have the ability to do one of these: hit a home run, score a touchdown, or dunk a basketball. What are you doing? Dunk a basketball. <laughs> that that to me is like you can dunk a basketball and you're not like seven foot seven. That's pretty athletic, right? You can't accidentally dunk a basketball. You don't dunk it one time and then never ever dunk it again. Like you could accidentally hit a home run or accidentally get a touchdown. Dunking a basketball is an athletic feat. You could get lucky, right? A grown man could probably get a home run simply by accident. I'm actually surprised you explained that quite well. Yeah, I think about these things a lot, man. I don't at all. Um, well, that's wow. what happens when you're five foot two. That's fine. Uh, first of all, again, shout out to Elaine at USAA Life Insurance. Five foot eight, three quarters, USAA Life Insurance. One of the best around. Really one of the This is a great company. All around great company. Shout out to USAA for no reason whatsoever. And Long, Jan, Long John Silvers as well because we talked about, look, I don't need chicken patties when I got fish. Go fuck yourself, Captain D's. <laughs> fuck you, Red Lobster. I'm fuck just gonna, you, we're Red gonna Lobster. Dude, the last time I ate a Red Lobster, I felt sick. Like, ooh, they put so much. Anyway, let's. Uh, are we? Wow, are we ready? Are we at our top five? Yeah, and, and go ahead and introduce it, and then I have to give you a disclaimer. Okay, so our top five is top five things you'd want with you on a deserted island. And look. You can't have anything that's just a call for help. Like you can't have a phone that defeats the whole purpose. Like you're stranded there, you don't get any kind of thing like that. You can't call for help, right? Okay. So my number five for uh, things I would bring with me on a deserted island is a flashlight. That's a good one. That's a good one. I don't. The problem is, is that look, if you had fire, you could just make a torch. So I don't think sure. that that should I don't think that should hit in the top five like that's ancillary. Also, if you're deserted, what do you need to see anything for? There's nothing around you. Well, see that that's what like I wasn't exactly sure, and I should ask you the question. Like, I, I kind of took it as like you know like a castaway thing. Like I just woke up on a deserted island. What items would I want with me immediately so I could like try to you know survive? Okay, no, I kind of took that approach as well. I went a little bit long term. Uh, my number five, speaking of castaway, is dental care. I would want some sort of way to care for my teeth. Cause you're fucked without teeth. Yeah, that's. 
I didn't put anything dental in mind. I guess I'm just going to be a gomper chomper. <laughs> You're just going to be out there with no teeth, miserable. I mean, more <laughs> than anything else. Like, I think if your teeth go bad, man, you could be fucked. You could be in a lot of trouble. That That is a great, like, realistic part of that movie that I think people don't appreciate. Okay, let's not explore that at all and just move on. What's your number four? Okay, uh, I have a knife. That's some way, kind of cutting tool. Way too low, way too high for a knife, dude. Knife should be way lower on that scale. You got you didn't think this through at all. I'm, you knew I was going to be disappointed in your list. It's good to be on there. It's definitely top five, but it has to be way higher than top five. Um, my all number, right. my number four is bug spray. All right, see, I have bug spray on the list, but it's it's a little higher than where you have it. You think bug spray is more important than a knife? You're going to run out of it eventually. Knife yeah, is once again, if, if it gets me through a couple of nights where I'm not getting bit by, because listen, everything's going to bite me, all right? I'm like a fucking seal. How long do you think that you could survive without food? Mm, that's a tough one. How, I mean, much I mean, do you, how much do you weigh right now? I don't want to say. 270. Okay, so 270. Um, that's fair. That's actually pretty close. <laughs> I figured it would be. How much? <laughs> so let's say you're 270. How tall are you? 5'11". Okay, so you could legitimately lose a, probably about 100 pounds and still be fine. You could drop down to like 110, 120. So if you have 170 pounds that you could burn off, wow, that's a lot. <laughs> how yeah, how long do you think I, I, you I could think, survive? I mean, but like not only would I be losing, like if I wasn't eating, like you said, my teeth would go, my bones would go, my muscles would go. It would just be a really pathetic sight. I think, well, yeah, but I mean, I think you could probably go six months without eating. <laughs> you want to try it? <laughs> no, dude, sounds awful. I know you yeah, can well, only we're go. We're not like... encouraging anyone not to eat out there, by the right, way. Right? Yeah. Um, I think I'm you not can. Not a racist. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Apologies to Kevin McCoy. Um, I think you can only go like three or four days without water, but I think you can actually live a pretty long time without eating. What do they say? You can go two days without water and like five days without food or something? No, dude. You can go a lot longer without, without, without food. Anyway, what what number are we on? Uh, so you just gave your number – that your buck spray was number four, right? Yeah. What's your number three? Uh, matches. That's a pretty good one. Because That's I ain't starting no fire. I wasn't a Boy Scout. I'm not going to be able to rub some rocks together and get fucking sparks. But you know at least the idea of it, right? Like you could, you could figure it out. I think that matches are pretty high up there, but I, I, I didn't put it in my top five. I think you can, I think you could eventually figure that out through sheer desperation. But I mean, you're taking fatigue into it. I'm already going to be irritated, and then you're going to expect me to sit there and fucking rub some rocks together till I get sparks. We got nothing else to do. I don't know. I mean, I think it sounds like easy enough until you're in that situation. And you're fucking crazy. 45 to 61 days is roughly how long someone can survive without eating. Wow. wow. Well, that's way longer than I thought. That is. That's what, six weeks to two months somebody could survive without eating. Wow. <sighs> God, I bet you'd be so hungry. Oh, uh, my number three, hear me out on this one, is erotic entertainment. <laughs> I think you got... I think you got to have something there to keep your mind occupied. Oh my! I, Otherwise, think about this though. Otherwise, you're going to be imagining exes, 
or other people that you've been with before, and then you're going to start wondering, what are they doing? Are they thinking about me? You're going to drive yourself insane. Like you have to have something to occupy your mind. I don't. I don't disagree with you. I just once again, I, I think if you're in that situation, like, and you're stranded. I mean, I guess if you had them, yeah, but like, I don't know. I, I don't think I'd be thinking about, you know, jerking it while I'm trying to fucking find food and water and shelter. I'm going to make this statement. I'm going to ask you this question and make this statement. If you're, let's say you get everything taken care of, you got your little castaway life all set up, you're on a deserted island with nothing to do, how many times a day are you going on a solo pleasure, pleasure cruise? Like how many times a day on a deserted island do you honestly think you'd probably jerk off? <laughs> I, I I don't know. I can't answer that because I, I don't know. I I don't think there'd be any want to do it. Like you're alone. Like what what would cause you to get in the mood? You got nothing else to do. You're still a human being. Like you still have urges. I'm gonna go ahead and say this. Any man on trapped on a deserted island with nothing else to do is going to go at least three to five times a day. <laughs> I, maybe for the first week, and then when you realize that you're fucked, you're just going to get depressed and not do anything. It, except for that. you might When you get that way, you might pump it up to five to seven. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, 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 listen, I don't know. Guys out there, let us know. I, I don't know. I, I I'm just saying, I think that people are severely underestimating the amount of times somebody trapped on a deserted island would pleasure themselves. You got nothing else to do. What are you, what else are you going to do? I, I, I think you could find, I mean, I, I, I know what I would be doing or what I think I'd be doing, and that's finding fucking food. But once you do that, that's only so many hours of the day. <laughs> I mean, listen, you're, I, I, don't, I don't disagree with you. I just don't. I don't know if it's top five worthy, but I think it's I, – I can't argue against it if that makes any sense. Okay. What's your number two? So I, I have bug spray slash an inflatable raft. That's survival related though, dude. You can't have the inflatable raft. All right. Well, then uh, then bug spray. And I guess if I if, if I get rid of the raft, I also have uh, a blanket on the list. Ooh, that's a good one though. A blanket so. would be – I think that would be pretty handy. I think a blanket would be – that's – it's underestimated. It's like the whole plot of A Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is you need a towel at all times. Um, <laughs> my number two is sunscreen. Every time I see one of those movies where they're trapped someplace, all I can think about is, oh, they're going to burn. They're going to burn. <laughs> I have that as one of my honorable mentions. I thought about putting it on the list, and I think it's realistic to put it on the list but I just didn't because I turned into a lobster. So <laughs> just burn, just burn the shit out of yourself. I'm legitimately curious as to what your number one is going to be. Well, you're going to hate it, and you probably have a good reason to hate it. Um, but I have bottled water. First of all, here's why it's it, at first thought it's a good idea, right? Like, ooh, I'm going to need some water, and you're not going to be able to carry enough bottled water to survive you. If you don't already have water there, you're fucked. You're just you're just dead. Well, I think this all goes back to like, you know, unless it's fresh water, right? Which I think you're supposed to boil anyways. Um, and you're going to consume it. You can actually consume salt water if you do it anally. <laughs> That's a fact. That is a fact. You can actually live off of salt water if you shoot it up your ass. 
episode after that comment because I, I, nothing. I, I'm like slightly intrigued. Like I want you to explain it, but I don't think anybody else does, or maybe they all do. I'm not entirely sure. I'm looking this up. I'm looking <laughs> this up. Good thing you're not on your work computer. How to put salt water up your bum? You can survive on salt water enemas. Oh my god! So you could live, like you could do it. You're not gonna like it. You're not gonna like it. But apparently, oh wait, that might not be true. <laughs> so this entire segment might not be for real. Hold on, hold on. Uh, unclear. It is thought you could potentially survive, but oddly enough, no one has actually done it. Oh my! Well. Please, uh, people out there, do not be the first to try it. I, I just put water at my number one because, once again, I'm thinking about just being stranded. I'm going to have a hard enough time trying to make a fire. If I could just have a couple bottles of water, that would alleviate a lot of stress right off the bat. Yeah, I think that would make it a little bit easier. It would definitely make it easier on you. My number one, though, is a knife. I think that's the most important thing. A knife or something sharp. You can kill stuff with it. You can start a fire with it. You can do a lot with a knife. I think that would be the most important thing to have. I had a number four. I mean, I it's definitely you, you need it. But like, what kind of knife are we talking about? Like a a twelve inch blade, like a little pocket knife. I'm thinking about a Bucks Rigmaster. Probably going to look about an eight inch quarter blade. <laughs> what the fuck kind of question is that, dude? I don't know. A knife. Shit. Are you gonna Are you gonna strand it on a deserted island? Like, oh man. I got a knife, but it's not the kind of knife, it's not the color that I wanted it to be. I, I don't know why you're so angry. I thought it was a valid question. Maybe it's a knife you carry on you, or maybe it's just a little pocket knife. I don't know. Either way, man. I think you'd rather have any kind of knife than no knife. What kind of knife are you going to look at and be like, no, you know what? That's just not good enough for me. I'm not going to take that with me on this deserted island. If I can't have the best, then I'm not taking the rest. <laughs> All I can say is if I had a knife and we were on the same deserted island, I would stab you with it. That's fair. What's on your honorable mention? So I have – I did put a satellite phone on there, but then I thought, well, the satellite phone's going to eventually run out of battery after a while. And who the fuck are you really going to call anyways? Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a great question actually. Who would you even call? Like if you had one phone call, who are you going to call? Like I guess you call 911, right? But what if you're, if you're on a deserted island? Where does a call to 911 on a deserted island go? That's a good question. Like if you're out in Tahiti somewhere, is there's 911? Like it doesn't just route to America. <laughs> Could you imagine that dispatcher like in L.A. that gets like a, you know, like a, a Pacific Island, deserted island, someone out there for a 911 call? 911, what's your emergency? I'm on an island in the middle of the Pacific. <laughs> Help. <laughs> Well, <laughs> yeah. what do you do? Like, what happens in a foreign country if you dial nine one one? Does anything happen? I guess. I guess we are not world travelers enough to to fully know. Okay, it appears this my whole thing about saltwater enemas that for some reason I know this is not true whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, well, I blew a chance to call you out on it, I guess, but uh, it sounded good. You you had me believing it. Wait, I found something. Using the rectum as a means of administering fluid replacement in dehydrated individuals is an interesting idea and may prove effective in the short term, but will not overall work. 
It makes sense. I wouldn't make. How does it make uh, sense? How does that make sense to you? Explain that to me. That that it wouldn't work in the long term because doesn't salt water dehydrate you? So it might give you a little boost of of liquid quick, but over the long term, it's just going to do more damage than good. The colon is well designed for absorbing liquid, but it needs to do so in the normal context, not in reverse, shall we say? <laughs> Anyways, you keep talking about that. I'm going to continue on with my... It is more likely to simply drip Um, back out than it is to be absorbed. So you would be doing it for no reason. Okay, let's move on. What was your your honorable mention? Uh, Let's see. So for the satellite phone, I have a net. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah, a net Um, would be helpful. I mean, if you had a knife, you could just go ahead and cut some twig or whatever it is. And Anyway, knife is the most important. I had a bucket hat. Uh, Did you choose bucket hat over other kinds of hat? Were you like, oh, no, don't want a baseball hat, don't want a sombrero, want a bucket hat? Sombrero. because yeah, I wanted to, you know, I would want it to look good. put shade on my entire, you know, like neck, not just the front or the back. Is that what a bucket? That's not a bucket hat. A bucket hat is just around your head. I don't know what the special neck hat is. Oh, well, I, I guess I, I don't know either. Um I have liquor on here. That's a good one. You'd need that. It could solve both. Could solve all your problems in many. Yeah, bucket hat is not what you're thinking. It is. Bucket hat does not cover the neck. And then I should have put this all in my top five, but uh, a pair of shoes, like good shoes. That's yeah. Would you go with tennis shoes or hiking shoes? Probably tennis shoes. I would think. Yeah, that's a better choice. I mean, the hiking shoes probably just aren't as comfortable. Boots would be ideal. Yeah, I mean, I... Ah, Safari Explorer hat is what it's called. Sure. I mean, at least you got my what I was thinking. Maybe with a mosquito net to protect from bugs, too, would be nice. That would be excellent. I don't really have anything in my honorable mention. Um, I think a blanket of yours, that's a great idea. I would go blanket. That would be... more. I would actually go towel over blanket, I think. I think the towel is more effective than the blanket is. A little bit more useful. Yeah, I was thinking more or less for like sleeping purposes because you got to be comfortable at night or you're just screwed. A blanket's not really that much more comfortable than a towel. I mean, a towel you could put below you or above you. And a blanket you could lay out on the sand and wrap wrap yourself in it and sleep nice and comfortable. Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you guys so much for joining us. If you want to connect with us, if you want us to leave us a like, subscribe, share, anything like that, we really appreciate it. But more than that, we really just like hearing from you guys. Like I, I find that to be honestly just the most rewarding part of the show is having these conversations with my buddy, learning about things that I knew nothing about, and then getting to interact with other people. That's really what that's really what keeps us going. A little bit of news. We're actually going to get t-shirts made. I know we've been saying that forever, but I think it's actually going to happen. We've got a design, and yeah, we're moving forward. Target date, 2025. 